Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts this morning as we reflect on your word be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and our savior. Amen. If you can, I'm going to ask you to forget everything that you know, everything that you imagine about the announcement of our Savior's birth to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I'm not just going to ask you to pretend to forget it, but before a moment, actually for, forget everything that you know. Forget the, the image that you have in your head of the, the pale-skinned woman wearing always a blue robe. Forget the, the image you have of the, of the saintly poses or the outstretched arms that you see in statues. Forget the, the soundtrack that goes off of Mary Did You Know or Gentle Mary Laid to Us every time you think of the scene. But I'm asking you to really please forget it and, and with me, let's look at the light that Scripture Cass on, on this on this saint and, and this scene because you see there there's been a tendency and it's nothing new. It's been going on since the fourth century. There's been a tendency that we romanticize, we we sanitize and well unfortunately idolize every aspect of the nativity, but not Christ. This morning let's look at scripture and, and see what do we do with Mary? I mean, what does Scripture present as the real Mary? I mean, I think to answer that question, we need to travel back in time. We need to, to go to the place where she grew up, to the town of Nazareth, if you can even question a town. You see, Nazareth was this obscure town that wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. It was, a, it was a town that was really nothing more than a collection of a few hundred, probably around 200 farmers that gathered together to farm the, the surrounding land. About three days journey north of Jerusalem, Nazareth sat just up in the hilltop, in the, in the mountain place, in a, in a valley actually that looked over the vast valley of Jezreel. And because of its positioning, it made for a good outpost for Roman soldiers who wanted to look over the region. And if you can think about what first century Roman soldiers would do in a small town with nothing to do, well, we start to get a clearer picture about why one of Jesus' own apostles, the apostle Nathaniel, when he was called to follow Christ and heard that Christ was from Nazareth, said, can anything really good come from there? If we traveled to Nazareth and looked for Mary and asked some of the folks standing around, where is she? Where, where's Mary? People would have just looked and smiled and said, which one? Because Mary, Mary was a very common name, just as it is now. Even in a small town, there would have been more than one Mary. And they would have pointed you to Mary not sitting beneath a Mediterranean portico, kneeling before a marble altar in prayer. No, they would have pointed you to someone working out in the field. Because you see, Mary was a peasant and a, and a very, very poor peasant at that who needed to work. And lest we 
get wrapped up in the powerfully prophetic and the masterfully poetic song of Mary that's going to come at the end of our lesson for today, don't forget that the, the real Mary, the, the person that we would meet out in that field, was a girl. Perhaps, perhaps as young as 12, 13, or 14 years old. A teenager in a society that already didn't value women. But if we would have sat down with Mary and we would have asked her about her God, you'd start to notice, well, something about this young lady. You'd understand rather quickly that she knew. She knew what God's word said. She knew what the Old Testament prophets said about the coming Messiah. And as you, as you listen to her talk about what she knew Isaiah said, what she knew Micah said, I don't know if we'd ask, but I'd wonder, a house in the line of David, her, her husband being from the house in line of David, I wonder if the thought ever crossed her mind that maybe, maybe her son could be the one. But I don't know. And I don't know today in a culture and amongst you know, other Christians that, that really romanticize, sterilize, and, and even idolize Mary, I don't know what to do with her. But as I thought about the lesson of the day, I think I found an answer. I admire Mary. I respect Mary quite a bit. And to be honest with you, I think I want to be like Mary in every way. I want to be highly favored. I want to find favor with God. I want all generations to call me blessed, like Mary. And unless you think that's ridiculous or kind of audacious, let me just say this. I want the same for you. I want you to want to be like Mary because of a miracle. Because of a miracle that God performed at the announcement of the Savior's birth. It's a miracle that you might not expect, but it's the greatest Christmas miracle nonetheless. Our lesson for today, our gospel lesson, is from Luke chapter 1. And as I read this, this rather lengthy gospel lesson, I want you to see if you can count the number of miracles that take place here. Today we're going to look at three of them, but there is only one. There is only one miracle, the greatest Christmas miracle, for which Mary is rightly remembered, rightly respected, and rightly desired to be replicated. Our gospel lesson is from Luke chapter 1, and to warm up and to honor the life and the work of Jesus, why don't we stand? Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin... The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, All generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. It's almost silly how strongly Luke emphasizes the first miracle that we're going to take a look at. Starting off, Luke says, God sent the angel to Nazareth, a town called Galilee, to a virgin. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, Mary, you conceive and give birth to a son. And she asked, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That's miracle number one. If you're following along on the worship guide, that's our first miracle that we see in the account of the Annunciation, the virgin birth. It's a great miracle. It's a miracle that exemplifies God's grace. It's a unique miracle. It's a miracle that God had never done before and he's never done since. Truly an awesome miracle. But it's not the greatest Christmas miracle. And you're thinking, Pastor, well, that's, what are you trying to, like, hard to impress? Like, what's going on? Well, I don't deny that it's a great miracle, but Martin Luther once said that the virgin birth was a mere trifle for God. Something that was no real biggie for him. And I, I think I tend to agree. I mean, think about all of the great physical miracles that God had done in the past. He parted the Red Sea. He shut the mouths of lions. And he even created life where, well, it couldn't have been created. He took the womb of some old 
ladies, wombs that were dead, like Sarah and Hannah in the Old Testament, and now Elizabeth, and he created life there. And in case we forgot, he also created life when he made you and me, every animal and every plant that we see. Now, the miracle of the virgin birth, awesome, but it's not the greatest Christmas miracle. The second miracle that we see, Luke says, uh, when he records the angel's words saying, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord your God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And here, here is a most incomprehensible but most wonderful miracle. We call it the incarnation. True God, true man combined into one. God in man made manifest. It's a truly awesome Christmas miracle and it's a vital miracle because it's exactly what we needed to be saved. We needed a God to come to us, be with us, and be human, to suffer, to die, to be tempted like you and me so that he could pay for our human sins. But we also needed a God who is divine, who could rise again and no, I can't downplay this one or, or push this one off, but this isn't the greatest Christmas miracle either. And before we go off, before we move past these two miracles, can we just look at them for a second? The virgin birth and the incarnation? Unless you think I'm totally dismissing them as insignificant, can you, can you just pause with me and think about what these miracles would have sounded like to the first person to ever hear them, to the first person to hear that they're about to happen. Can you imagine the impact that the idea of a virgin birth would have on Mary? The idea of God incarnate coming to Mary. I mean, think about the first one, the virgin birth. Think about them socially. Here's Mary, a girl that's 12, 13, maybe 14 years old. And she's pledged to be married. In fact, she's betrothed to Joseph. What does that mean? Well, it means they're as good as married already. Vows were exchanged. Dowries were paid. The uh, cake had been cut. The DJ had already been paid for. The celebrations actually already happened. They were together, but they weren't. You see, in that culture and for this custom of betrothal, they would get married, be married, but then they wouldn't live together like most couples do in our society right after marriage. No, they would spend a few months as the husband prepared the home, maybe even built the home for them to live in. And during that couple month period, the woman would also prepare herself going through the uh, Judaic uh, purification ceremonies to get ready to be with her husband. And it's at this time that the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, young lady, you're pregnant. You tried being a 13-year-old peasant girl explaining to your father that what's in you isn't Joseph's. It's not another man's, it's God's. No, Mary hearing the news of the virgin birth in her, oh, it would have made her stomach twist and turn. 
Sociologically, it would have been a very difficult miracle. The incarnation, oh, the, the theological significance wouldn't have been lost on Mary. For Mary to hear that he will be called the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will ever ne- end. Now, she wouldn't have missed the import of this. For as long as her people, Israelites had remembered, prophets had talked about this larger than life king. They had talked about when he would come, if he would come, where he would come. They talked about what it would be like when he came and he destroyed all of Israel's enemies. When he came and he ushered in a rule of peace. When he came and he would establish a rule that would eventually extend over the whole world. And now? The hopes and fears of all the years. Like the hopes and fears of thousands of years. The hopes and fears of people like Adam and Eve. Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The hopes of King David. They were about to be met in me? Tonight? Oh, no, the news of the virgin birth would have made her stomach twist and turn. But the news of God incarnate being inside of Mary Oh, it would have made her head spin. And so it's no wonder that when God's messenger, the angel Gabriel, came to Mary and announced this news to her, she reacted in, well, maybe the way we don't normally expect. She said to him, she said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I've never slept with a man before. No, I think we need to get rid of the, the fairy tale picture that we often picture of Mary sitting around in her backyard just waiting for an angel to come. And then when Gabriel happens to show up, she says, Hello, angel. What, what news do you bring for me? Oh, oh, I will bear the Son of God. How wonderful. My soul proclaims the glory of God. No, look at, look at what Luke says is her first reaction. He says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Let me translate that for you. Mary was terrified. Mary got shook by this news. Mary could not handle what was going on. She, am I the only one seeing this angel? Me, a teenage girl, highly favored by, by who? God? And going to bear his son? No, how? How is this going to be? If there was ever anyone to doubt, to want to disbelieve, to dispute, to, to not believe what was going to happen, it was Mary. And that's why Mary's response to the angel Gabriel is the greatest Christmas miracle ever is is testimony to the greatest Christmas miracle that God ever performed. Mary said, "How will this be since I'm a virgin shadow you so that the holy one holy spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you so that the holy one to be born will be called the son of God for no word from God will ever fail." I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. The greatest Christmas miracle, bar none, is the f- fact that a young girl, 
uh, a seemingly quite sensible girl took a message that is by all accounts incomprehensible and said, yeah, that's God's word. I'll believe that. I believe that. I'm God's servant. May his word be to me fulfilled. The greatest Christmas miracle ever is the fact that sinful people like you and me and Mary can have faith in Jesus. The mother of Jesus believing the good news, the good news, the message from Gabriel, the message that we call the gospel is the greatest Christmas miracle there could be because it bestows a power on us, a power, first of all, to believe, but a a power to produce fruits of faith. For if Mary did not believe, she could not have conceived, and she did. Earlier, we sang the classic, modern classic Christmas song, Mary Did You Know? And it's a, it's a fun song to sing. Um, the, the composer, Mark Lowry, he uses his poetic license to, to get us to look at a story, the story of the Annunciation from Mary's point of view. Mary, did you know? Did you know this would happen or this? And, and there's some things that Mary certainly did know. There's also some things that Mary certainly couldn't have known. Mary, did you know your baby boy would walk on water, give sight to a blind man and calm the storm with his hands? No, there's, there's no way that Mary could know things like that. Mary's not omniscient. She's not um, all-powerful. She didn't know that was going to happen. But questions like, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your baby boy, you kiss the face of God? Yeah, Mary definitely knew that. She definitely knew that because Gabriel, who did trod where Jesus walked, <laughs> just told her that that was going to happen. But I think even better than asking Mary, did you know? Did you know these things were going to happen? Well, it might be more interesting or more helpful for us to understand why. Why? Why, Mary, and how, Mary, did you believe once you knew the implications of what was about to happen? Mary, how and why did you believe God knowing what you knew? I mean, there were serious implications that were about to take place for Mary for carrying Christ. Her reputation, Joseph's reputation in a town of 200 people, Oh, that was shot. That was ruined. Anybody else's? Carrying, carrying Jesus and claiming that it wasn't Joseph's, it wasn't anybody else's? Who would believe that? And it's not like Jesus just popped out and put the halo on his head so everyone's like, oh, they were right. Yes, that is Jesus. No, it wasn't for 30 years that he started his ministry and started making the claims of who he was. Oh, there's implications for a reputation. There's implications for relationships with her family, with her friends, and even Joseph. She didn't know what Joseph was going to say about all this. Her relationship with Joseph could have been done, and her life could have been done too, because legally, according to the rabbinic law, Joseph could have had Mary stoned for being with child without him. 
There's implications for relationships, for reputations. There will be hardships. Mary, this is not going to be easy caring for a son that people aren't going to think is legitimately yours. There's going to be hardships walking to Bethlehem in the next couple of months because even though modern depictions have the donkey, no, Mary and Joseph, you're too poor to own a donkey. You're going to waddle 70 miles there and back with Jesus, pregnant. Mary, why did you so courageously, so faithfully believe what Gabriel told you? Well, the answer, it's the same reason that you and I believe. It's because of God's grace. When the angel Gabriel came and greeted Mary, he said, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. He said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. The word, the Greek word that is used for favor in both instances is, is the word charis. And the word charis is actually the same word used for favor that's used to depict and describe God's grace throughout the New Testament. God's undeserved love for you. God's love that came to you unasked, unforced, unearned. God's love for you with no reason to. And the gift of God's grace is not only his love, but it is the ability that he gives to you and I to be able to believe in him. It wasn't anything in Mary. It wasn't the fact that she was sinless or holy that made, her want, made God want her to be the mother of Jesus. It was purely a gift of God's grace. And the irony of this whole situation is that as the angel was announcing a message from God to Mary about the God-man that would be in her, God was already in her heart. The message that is her working his faith. Because faith comes from hearing the message, the message that is heard through the word of Christ. The Christ who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, Christ made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in a, an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's how and that is why Mary was able to say, I'm the Lord's servant. Because in her heart, even before in, he was in her womb, was Christ, the great servant who humbled himself for us, for his God, so that we can do the same. Yeah, Mary, she had some hardships. She, she had some things that were difficult. You might even say that Mary was a skeptic as she looked at the angel's message to her. She had no idea fully what it would be like to be the mother of Christ, what Joseph would do, what miracles Jesus would perform. She had no idea that someday she would lose Parent of the Year Award when she lost God at the temple. She had no idea that one day she'd watch him suffer She'd watch him be tortured and die. She had no idea about any of this, but she was able to accept it by faith because of the gift of God's grace. During this evening of Advent, we've been taking a look at different lights each and every week, Christmas lights, as we illuminate our way to Christ, Christ's way to us. 
This, this week, our light is a spotlight. And it's not a spotlight that shines on the servant Mary, but it's a spotlight that Mary gets behind and shines on Christ, who took center stage in her life, her on center stage in France. So often, people want to take Mary and put her on center stage and give her the spotlight in the life of Jesus and in the account of the Annunciation. But just listen again to the words that she speaks in the Magnificat as, as she proclaims what Christ did for her. She said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This is why I admire Mary. This is why I respect Mary. This is why I want to replicate Mary and I want to be Mary. This is why I want to find favor with God. I want to be held in highest favor. I want all generations to remember me for my faith. For my faith that is a faith like Mary's. That takes the spotlight and points it on Christ. And so many ways we are like Mary. In so many ways, the story that took place in Nazareth is playing out in our lives. Like Mary, we carry Christ with us. And no, it's not in our womb, but it's in our hearts. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, his prayer is that out of God's glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Like Mary, we carry Christ. And because we carry Christ, there's implications for our lives. Because we have Emmanuel, we literally have God with us, in us, what well, means our, our reputations are at stake. When you carry Christ with you, when you go into the workplace, when you go into your social networks, when you go into your vocational networks, when you let people know that you are carrying Christ, well, people might not understand you. Your relationships might be different. Even your relationships with your family. When you show up to Christmas and let people know that maybe don't feel the same way you do, that you are pregnant, they might not get that. There might be hardships there might be confusion. You might not understand everything that God says. But having Christ in you means we're walking in the shoes of Mary. And yeah, just like Mary, if there's anybody to ever doubt, to ever dispute or question if Christ is with me or, or, or why Christ asked this of me, it's you. You can wonder if you really need to submit to him, if you really need to be a servant, if you really need to do what he says in these situations, if, if, but if the if is part of your faith, it's not really faith at all. 
Christ is not really your Lord. He's just a consultant. He's your advisor in the sky and maybe you'll take some of what he tells you to do. And I know it's not natural. There is, there's an innate fear of taking the spotlight and shifting it off you that, that you're gonna be standing left in the darkness, that you're gonna be standing alone, that you're not gonna be taken care of. But don't fear. Like Mary, you have found favor with God. Like Mary, God's grace is to you and continues to be with you so that the Christ child that you carry with you Oh, it's the same Jesus. The same Jesus who who was prophesied to save his people from his sins will save you from your sins of doubt, your sins of unwillingness to submit. It's the same Jesus who Gabriel said would be the most high, would rule over all people, over all creation. He's the same Jesus ruling in your hearts and in your lives. It's the same spirit in you that Gabriel said would overshadow Mary that overshadows you and not in a dark or overwhelming way, but with an empowering and a delightful way to rule in your hearts and with your lives so that with Mary, you can confess the same thing that she said, that I am God's servant and may it be to me because no word of God, no word of God has ever failed. And like Mary, you can experience that greatest Christmas miracle. This past week, I heard a, a story of another Christmas miracle that took place just a few years ago. It's the story of Leanne Carter and her son, Joseph, who was born on Christmas Day. Both Joseph and Leanne made it through the birth well, healthy, happy, but that's not the Christmas miracle. It's not even that Joseph was born on Christmas Day that makes it a Christmas miracle. The miraculous part about this was side effects of pregnancy. Leanne experienced zero normal side effects of pregnancy throughout the nine months Joseph was inside of her. In fact, Leanne didn't know she was pregnant until she showed up at the hospital on Christmas Day. The only reason she went in is because she thought she ate too much at her Christmas meal and was maybe dealing with some food poisoning from, uh, from the heavy Christmas family meal that she had. I looked this up because it absolutely blew my mind how something like that could happen, but it's actually maybe more common than I thought. And there's a medical term for this condition. It's called a cryptic pregnancy. And actually, one in every 2,500 women who are healthy physically, mentally, and emotionally go through pregnancy without any side effects and find out they're pregnant while giving birth. It's a crazy, crazy Christmas or medical miracle, if you will. But as I thought about this and I thought about our lesson for today, I gave thanks that the first Christmas pregnancy, the, the first and the real Christmas miracle wasn't a secret announcement of pregnancy. It wasn't a cryptic presence, pregnancy but it was one that was announced by an angel. It was one that was announced and had an effect in Mary and has an effect in us and on us 2,000 years later and changes our lives the way we live each and every day, even today. Amen.